Father, we thank you for the everlasting love you have given to us. It's everlasting, and so we know only a portion of it now, and that portion is marvelous. It was love so deep that it would forgive us of our past and present and future sins. It would send its own son to die in our place, to take the full wrath of you, God, upon him in our place. It's a love demonstrated in substitutionary death. It's a love that is sacrificial. And yet, Lord, we don't fully know it. And I think, Lord, we'll spend our eternity grasping your everlasting love. But we are so grateful for what we do know. It's magnificent and it is a lifetime to study it, to know it, to grasp it, to understand it, to appreciate it. And we thank you that you do love us that way. We do thank you for your forgiveness and kindness and patience you show us as well as you continue to transform us into the image of your Son. Thank you for all that are gathered here tonight. We think of those who are, can't be with us, some are recovering from surgeries or procedures, Lord. Some are sick, Lord. Many are watching tonight from home. We pray that you would strengthen them. We do thank you for each and everyone that's here tonight. Lord, may you bless us with your word. May it encourage our souls. May it challenge us. May we be more grateful and more like Christ when we leave. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The more we watch mankind, <laughs> the more we realize he hasn't really changed much. Someone was telling me the other day they were reading through Genesis 6 and they knew this, but it just struck them that how wicked man was in Genesis 6. Do you remember that passage? It says that every man and, and every intent of his heart was wicked. And there's just one guy left. His name was Noah. <laughs> we don't even know that he, where his wife and children were on the righteousness scale of some sort because we're not told. It just tells us that there's one man named Noah, the rest of the world only did evil. That's quite a reminder, isn't it, how bad man can be. And yet, it doesn't take much like we saw this week to remind us man is just evil to the core. And there's no capability, no end to what he can do. When we study a passage like this, we have come to these six 16, 17, and 18, they really come in a package. And in amongst the people of God, there has risen up sinfulness within this nation. It's repeatedly happened. And this particular sin is <coughs> envy, not so much towards Moses this time, but towards Aaron. Aaron is the one who walks into the presence of God. Aaron is the one who brings the blood to from the altar into the presence of God. Aaron is the one who does the interceding, the intercessory work, the only one who could come in. And yet others have envied and been jealous of that, posi that position. We know in chapter 16 that God brought them all out in front of him and said, get your incense, get your your labor and hold that and put that incense in there and put fire in it. You stand before me and I'll show you who can come before me. And what a demonstration. He swallows up the family of Korah. He wipes out uh, 250 other men who opposed him and men of the tribe of Reuben. And one left standing. And then he says, that's not enough. Give me your rods of your leaders. And he takes the rods of the leaders. We looked at this last week in chapter 17. And he put them in front of the presence of God in the tabernacle. And the next morning they brought out and only Aaron's has life to it. And not only immediate uh, fruit that was on there, it was all the way to the blossom in the blood, bud, pointing to life more to come. All the other rods remained dead. Quite a lesson. As we get to chapter 18, we really find the conclusion of these events. There's um, really a complete 
vindication in a sense, a divine vindication of Moses and particularly Aaron's role. Aaron is established as the only one who can come into the presence of God. He is the high priest who comes. No one else comes if not there is death. It's amazing. And so God clearly rejects the rest of the Levitical tribe as those who come into his presence. He has another role for them. He swallowed them up or <laughs> wiped them out. But here we find a very positive vindication in an unmistakable manner that God said, I have one who can bring the blood into my presence. Isn't that interesting? If you know anything about Jesus Christ, you have to see that this points forward, don't you? It's not about Aaron. We know he's a wreck. <laughs> he's already built a uh, golden bull calf. He is... He's uh, wanted Moses' position, and his sister ended up with leprosy. I mean, we've seen his fear. So this, this cannot be the exaltation of Aaron. This is a teaching on salvation. It is a teaching of who comes into the presence of God for the forgiveness and reconciliation of the people. And so it surely points to Christ. But within all of that, there are roles that people play, and he's going to get into that in this text. So I want to jump into just three thoughts today in this passage. First, serving the intercessor who alone comes into the presence of the Lord, or the presence of God. Serving the intercessor who alone comes into the presence of God. Look at the first seven verses with me. So the Lord said to Aaron, chapter 18, Numbers, You and your sons, your father's household with you, shall bear the guilt in connection with the sanctuary. Real interesting words there, right? And you and your sons you with you shall bear the guilt in connection with your priesthood. But bring with you also your brothers from the tribe of Levi, from the tribe of your father, that they may be joined with you and serve you while you and your sons with you are before the tent of the testimony. And they shall thus attend to your obligation, to the obligation of all the tent, but they shall not come near the furnishings of the sanctuary and the altar, or both they and you will die. They shall be joined with you and attend to the obligations of the tent of the meetings for all of the service of the tent, but, a, but an outsider may not come near you. So you shall attend to the obligations of the sanctuary and the obligations of the altar, so that there will no longer be wrath on the sons of Israel. Behold, I myself have taken your fellow Levites from among the sons of Israel. They are a gift to you, dedicated to the Lord to perform the service of the tent of the meetings. But you and your sons with you shall attend to your priesthood for everything concerning the altar and inside the veil, and you are to perform the service. I am giving you the priesthood as a bestowed service, but the outsider who comes near shall be put to death." Now, there's a clear theme here when you read this. There is just one who can represent the nation. There is only one who can bring the blood into the presence of God for forgiveness and reconciliation. And in a very real sense here, we see God using a very strong force as he counters this rebellion. Remember what the rebellion is. We want to come. We don't want to go through that one. We want to come our way. We want to come into the presence of God. And so we see this very strong rejection of that, strong rejection of that rebellion. And yet here he's giving a very positive reinforcement to the design he laid down that Aaron is the one who comes into his presence. And so there's this unmistakable judgment in 16 and 17. And then now to convince the people, stop grumbling against me, stop grumbling against my leaders that I have chosen, and listen to me and live. Now, in the coming chapters, <laughs> it isn't very hard, just turn a few forward, and we got a same problem happening again. It's astounding, isn't it, right? We kind of look at it and go, somebody got swallowed up by the ground. You think you're going to get to the point where you're going to go, I'm going to stop warring against God. And yet they don't. And so you go, why does this happen? And it isn't hard to think, brothers and sisters, this is the state of depravity. 
Depravity blinds you even from common sense. It causes you to not see perfect examples in front of you how God deals with sin. He swallows people up. And yet they repeat the same sin. And so when we see this rebellion, what comes with it is demonic forces. It's a rejection of God's plan. We saw the same thing with Pharaoh. He, he, I mean, God did these marvelous things, right, in his presence. And yet his heart was hardened again by God and by himself because he was full of depravity and depravity as well. And so we begin to understand without faith, mankind is unprepared to receive the truth of God. And, it, and even in the simplest things of, of leadership and so forth, right? Uh, without faith, we just don't understand those things. Now, despite mankind's unbelief, God is very convincing, isn't he? When we read this, he's persuasive. Um, and he has a plan that, that goes forward despite depravity. And we thank the Lord for that, don't we? And in this chapter, God is going to say, it is my way. I'm right I've chosen the man that comes into my presence. And despite what you think and your sinful stubbornness and your rebellion, this is the way it's going to come. And I love that about our God because if we try to come any other way, we die. And aren't you thankful that God says there is one way to come? And we go, but. He goes, no, there's one way to come. But, no, there's one way to come. Why? Because if we try to come any other way, we die. It is really the loving kindness of God to point us to the one way to him through his son. He's the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father. And yet, constantly, religion after religion, person after person tries to find some way in other than the one door. Now, again, all of this points forward, doesn't it? The psalmist picked this up. Psalms 80, verse 17. Let your hand be upon the man of your right hand. Isn't that interesting? Where's the Lord right now? at the right hand of the Father. That's where he's always been. So the psalmist says, let, the, let your hand be upon the man of your right hand, upon the son of man whom you made strong for yourself. I mean, yeah, we just see that in the scriptures. The Lord strengthens and perfects Christ, Hebrews tells us. And he, and he, he is the authority of God. He is from the right hand of God, and that is the way we come to him. Paul says it this way, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, For there is one God, one mediator also between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, right? And so in Israel's case, this, this sign was simple. Aaron's rod shows who has life, and life comes from God, right? And so the rods were brought out. He had life. The rest were dead. And it's just an unmistakable sign. Who was the man of God of God's choosing at this point. And if people desire life, come God's way. All else die. And that's the message of the gospel, isn't it? Right? The wages of sin is death. You want to come your way, you die. But the gift of God through Jesus Christ is eternal life, isn't it? And so there's life through Christ. There's life through the one way that God has sent. And there's death any other way. You know, that's really narrow, isn't it? The world doesn't like that message, do they? They just don't like that. It's too inclusive. It's too narrow. <laughs> yeah, praise God it is. Because you would never know how to get to God. And it's great to say, well, here's five ways. Pick one to see if you make it. What a horrible way to live, right? God says, no, there's one way. It's through my son. It's through faith in him alone. And I'll grant you the faith. <laughs> And you'll repent and you'll follow me. So this is an unmistakable difference between life and death. Look at verse 17. They knew this. Um, actually, uh, chapter 17, verse 12 and 13. Then the sons of Israel spoke to Moses, saying, Behold, we perish, we are dying, we are all dying. Everyone who comes near, who comes near to the tabernacle of the Lord must die. Are we to perish completely? Yeah. Keep trying to come the way you want it to come. Yeah, you're all going to die. And, and certainly that was physical at this time, right? You're going to walk into the presence of God. You're not Aaron. You're going to die. But, that, but spiritually, that's so true of all of us mankind as well. So Aaron was to bear the guilt. Look at verse 1. Isn't that in interesting? You and your sons and your father's household with you shall bear, bear the guilt in connection with the sanctuary. 
They, they really bared that guilt as they brought that blood in. That, they, that guilt was put on them as they came into the presence of God. And, I mean, we don't have to go very far, right? Then we start thinking, Christ bore our sins in his body, Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2. He bore them in his body. What a beautiful connection between Aaron and Jesus Christ. Isn't that beautiful? You're going to bear the guilt. And again, this was year after year, daily sacrifices that happened. But our Lord Jesus Christ bears the sin from Adam to the last believer on the cross. Just think for a minute. Imagine the weight of that guilt. Just take my sins alone. I couldn't imagine that. Let alone the sins of all of the elect. It's, it's astounding. The weight that was put on our Savior. When the Bible says God crushed him for our iniquities, now you start to think about that a little bit, don't you? He bore our guilt. I don't think Aaron understood that fully. But God was telling, you're going to bring the guilt of the sin of this nation and you're going to bring that in front of me. There's only one that I'm going to let in to do that. It's you, Aaron. So the rest of the tribes of Levi, they were to serve the high priest. You notice that in verse 2. They have a role. They had a beautiful role. Some of them didn't like it, right? They wanted the different role. So they're frustrated with that. And they start to, you know, protest in a way, right? And God takes care of that. But he gives them roles, right? They had obligations. They have obligations to the ministry. They, they had, could have a fruitful ministry. But they could not do what the high priest could do, verse 3. Look at there. And so they came along the work of the high priest, but they could not come into the presence of God on their own, verse 4. He keeps relating this. They shall be joined with you. They shall attend the obligations of the tent of meeting, all the services of the tent, but an outsider, they may not come near. He's making that clear repeatedly. But each one had their role, and when that role was exercised according to God's plan, there was peace with God. There was joy in the tabernacle. But when they rejected it, verse 5 says, the wrath of God comes, right? And so they attend their obligations in 5 in the sanctuary, the obligations at the altar, so that there will be no longer wrath. What brought on all that? What brought on all of that in 16 and 17? They weren't tending to their obligations. Korah, you carry the furnishings. You don't look at them. Aaron comes, covers them. That's his job. You don't look at them. You carry them. That's what I've called you to do. I'm God. I'm right. You're wrong. Let's do it my way. They didn't like the obligation, so they fought against God and his servants, and he swallowed them up. And so he says in this verse, look, if you don't want the wrath of God on you to do your obligation." So you always want something, you know, what's the old saying? The grass is always greener on the other side, right? Cows are always sticking their head through the fence and stretching your fences out. They're just not happy. This grass is right there, eat it. No, no, I want that. Isn't that us, right? Oh, not content with what God has given us? And we find ourselves in a position as, as Christians, as saved Christians, we're not under the wrath of God, but we certainly find ourselves under what? His discipline at times? Discontentment is very, very dangerous to us. It's something we should pray for all the time. Lord, give me contentment in my marriage. Give me contentment with my children. Give me contentment with my finances. Lord, please help me trust you and believe in you, what you're doing. And so I will be content in you. Discontentment breeds all kinds of problems, and it brings the discipline on the Lord. And here it brought his wrath. Verse 6 tells us that the entire tribe of Levi was a gift to the high priest. Isn't that interesting? All of them. And they're dedicated to the Lord. Look, you're, you're dedicated people to perform service to him. And, and, but you have to do it our way. I mean, you have to do it his way, right? You're, you're dedicated. You're performing these services, but do it our way. So I think that's us, right? Christ is our high priest. We do things his way. <laughs> Anytime we fight against that, we find tremendous amount of problems. And if you fight against it in salvation, you'll die eternally. We serve a great high priest. He gives us roles, right? 
He gives us gifts that we serve as a body of Christ. And it's so beautiful when we do that. God has a design for those things. Chapter, verse 7, you see that any other way than God's ways results in death. But you and your sons, verse 7, you shall attend to the priesthood for everything concerning the altar and inside the veil. Right? You got that? You are to do the performing of service. Period. No one else. One guy. And I'm giving you the priesthood as I bestow a service. But the outside who comes near shall be put to death. It's so clear. This is why we, you hear this phrase a lot around here. Christ alone. It's just, it just permeates everything we do. Songs that get chose to sing, preaching, discipling, counseling. It just permeates in all that we do because we know everything else is death. Religion, you just be religious, die. Try to be good. I'm a good guy. I'm not like that guy. Die. That's why Christ alone is such an important thing to our life. God is a gentle God, isn't he, in a lot of ways. He's very patient. But he's firm. He's a good father, isn't he? That's a good description of a father. He's patient. But he's firm. He knows what's best for his children. And I think you see that in this text. He's reminding this nation, look, I am patient with you. I am firm. I love you. But there are serious responsibilities attached to your role. And if you don't fulfill them, it will cause great problems. And he's being clear. I want no strangers in my presence. Nobody walks into the presence of God but his own son and those who have been brought to him through his son. All services were to be performed according to his divine will. What a powerful reminder. And I think what we have to learn from this is I think he's telling Aaron and Moses here is do not fear man. You fear me. You do what I tell you to do. And I think that's that strong, worshipful, reverential fear of God that you care about what he thinks more than you care about what others think. Do you have that? It's hard, right? We live in a society where, man, we are so worried what everybody thinks. You know, how many likes did I get? You know, how many, how many people, you know, do they like me? Do they not like me? Are they mad at me? Are they not mad at me? Right? We're, we're, we just struggle with that, don't we? We need to care what God thinks. Luke chapter 12, 4 through 5, Jesus says this. I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. <laughs> and after that, they have no more they can do. Well, that's pretty good news. <laughs> what are you going to do? Kill me? That's all you can do. But I will warn you, Jesus says, of whom to fear. Fear the one, capital O there, who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. <laughs> See, if all Christians thought, Lord, I want to have a reverential fear for you, not what man thinks. I want to obey you and live for you. I think you'll have really good relationships when we do that, right? Then we minister the way God has asked us to do. And I think that as ministers and servants of Christ's church, we hold that responsibility. And it comes down. It, look, everything is based in that purity of the gospel. When we hold to that Christ alone gospel, it permeates into all of our life, and we want to serve the Lord that way. So we joyfully carry out the roles God has given us. Okay, I'll plunge toilets, I'll watch little ones, I'll stack chairs, I'll, I'll teach these kids, I'll teach these adults, I'll go call on those people. I'll, Lord, I'll do what you want me to do. And so there's this joy that comes and because you rather obey God than man at whatever cost. See, I think that's the wider application here. This is a role of the believer priesthood, right? This is what we do. We we, Christ is the one who, who takes us into the presence of the Father. We're the ones dedicated to him, supporting him in all of those things. Are you willing to carry the pail of wet water for Christ? See, we all have a role. And I think we have a joyful role. And we declare the one-way gospel, and we serve a one-way gospel. We serve a, a, a one, one person, Jesus Christ. We don't we don't even, in a, in a sense, serve the church. We serve the church through serving Christ. Right? 
Because that's where things can get mixed up a little bit. Uh, I serve the church. Well, that could get a little that could get a little slippery there. Now we serve Christ through serving the church. And that's how God uses us. So none of us should neglect our roles as believer priests. God has a role for us. And we, you see this in this text. He has a role for these individual priests. It's not Aaron's role. It's a different role. And they need to be happy with it. So what's your role? Carrying furniture, cleaning out the altar, carving up the meat, giving instruction to God's people. What is it? I think every Christian needs to ask that question. What's my role as I serve Jesus? What do I do? How am I fulfilling that? And I think that's so important. And, and, and here, let me just give you just a little counsel. Don't tell God what your role is. <laughs> well, God, I'd really like to do this. Ask him. Ask him. God, what do you want me to do? In fact, one of the ways you do that is you look and observe where God is working, and you ask him if you can join what he's doing. Find an area that, that you see God at work within the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and say, can, can I do that, Lord? Would you let me do that? I, I'll, I'll hold a broom. I'll do whatever, but I, I want to do what you're doing. You'll find much joy in that. Second thought, God meets the needs of his sacrificial servants. This is really important. I hope I want to encourage you. Some, some of you are going through some struggles, and maybe it's financial, maybe it's health, whatever it is, but this, uh, this text, although it's about the priesthood here, teaches us that God meets the needs. Follow along as I read 8 through 21. Then the Lord spoke to Aaron. Now behold, I myself have given you charge over my offering, even all the holy gifts of the sons of Israel, and I have given them to you as a portion and to your sons as a perpetual atonement. This shall be yours from the most holy gifts reserved from the fire, every offering of theirs, every grain offering, every sin offering, every guilt offering, which they shall render to me, shall be most holy for you and your sons. As the most holy gifts, you shall eat of it. Every male shall eat of it. It shall be holy to you. This also is yours, the offering of their gifts, even all the wave offerings of the sons of Israel. And I have given them to you and to your sons and daughters with you a perpetual allotment. Every one of your household you sh who is clean may eat it. All of the best fresh oils and all of the best fresh wine and the grains and the fresh fruits of those which they give to the Lord, I give them to you. The ripe first, the, excuse me, the first ripe fruits of all that is in the in their land, which they bring to the Lord, shall be yours. Every one of your household who is clean may eat of it. Every devoted thing in Israel shall be yours. Every first issue of the womb of all flesh, whether man or animal, which is offered to the Lord, shall be yours. Nevertheless, the firstborn uh, you shall surely redeem and the firstborn of unclean animals you shall redeem as to the redemption price from a month old you shall redeem by your by your valuation five shekels of silver according to the shekels of the sanctuary which is uh, 20 giras by the firstborn of the ox or the firstborn of the sheep or the firstborn of the goat you shall re you, you shall not redeem they are holy and you shall sprinkle their blood on the altar there's a difference there and shall offer up their fat and smoke as an offering by the fire for a smooth aroma to the lord their meat shall be yours and it shall be yours like the breast of the wave offering and like the right thigh all the offerings of the holy gifts which the son, sons of Israel offer to the Lord, I have given to you, you and your sons and your daughters with you, a perpetual allotment. Um, it is an everlasting covenant of salt before the Lord to you and to your descendants with, which are with you. Then the Lord said to Aaron, You shall have no inheritance in their land nor any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the sons of Israel." Verse 21 through 24, so the sons of Levi, behold, I have given all of them the tithe in Israel for an inheritance in return for their service, which they perform the service of the tent of meetings. The sons of Israel shall not come near the tent of meetings again, or they will bear the sin and die. Only the Levites shall perform the service of the tent meetings, and they shall bear their iniquities, and it shall be a perpetual state throughout your generation. Among the sons of Israel, they shall have no inheritance. For the tithe of the sons of Israel, which they have offered as an offering to the Lord, I have given to the Levites for an inheritance. Therefore, I have said 
concerning them, they have no inheritance among the sons of Israel. Now, these verses 8 through 24-ish in there, God's outlining what the priest, particularly first uh, 8 through 21, that's the priest, that's Aaron and his descendants, they receive a recognition for their service, and in return, God meets their needs. So they're responsible for the design sacrificial system. They bear the guilt of the sin of the nation. And you'll notice they receive a part of those sacrifices, first fruits of harvest, firstborn animals, uh, and so forth. But there was a distinguish between the most holy stuff. There were certainly things go to God that fat and so forth, parts of that animal that were only for God. Those went up and smoked to the Lord. And they were not to touch those. But most everything else, he gave them a portion. Now, I, want to, I got thinking about this. Um, and, and again, I'm always thinking about Christ when I study the Old Testament. Because otherwise, you're down to laws and duties and you're trying to figure out how this applies to me. It must be pointing forward, right? And so I thought about our Lord Jesus Christ. What, what God is telling Aaron here is, you serve me, you come my way, you do things my way, and I will meet your needs. I will reward you. I got thinking about Isaiah 53. Look, what, look there with me. Let's see what our Father in heaven does for his son. Jesus obeys the Father perfectly. First of all, he does not have to sacrifice his, like, for his own sin like the rest of the priesthood did. He, he didn't have to do that. And he doesn't have to come year after year, day after day. He doesn't have to do any of those things. He's perfect. But he does come and he offers his own blood. He suffers and sacrifices and becomes a substitute. He's the last lamb. He brings his own blood into the Holy of Holies, Hebrews chapter 9. He walks in there. He brings his blood before the Lord. And the, blood, and the Lord receives that, right? But it was not easy. Uh, I don't have time to read all of Isaiah 53. It should to understand, but let's at least start in verse 10. The Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. Now, I don't know about you, Christian, but that first five words are powerful, aren't they? It pleased God to crush the son. See, that's, remember I talked about that weight of guilt. And the crushing is the weight of the sins of all of God's people upon him. Now, let me make sure you're clear, because some people are probably thinking, didn't Christ die for the world? His death was sufficient for the world's sins. But we're not universalist. We believe that there are those who go to hell and there's who go to heaven. Not everybody's a Christian. In fact, the Bible's very clear. Few come through the narrow gate. And so we, what we're talking about, what Christ died for, was the sins of the elect, the sins of all those who would come to Christ. It has to be. Because you either, Christ pays for your sin, that's eternal life, or you pay for your own, that's eternal death, right? So we're clear here on salvation. I mean, that's trying to make that as simple as possible there. So in verse 10, the Lord was pleased to crush him. He crushed him, putting him to grief. Now look at this. If he would render himself, look at this word here, as a guilt offering. There it is. Right connected to, November, to, to Numbers 18. You bear the guilt, Aaron. Temporarily, over and over and over, Christ builds, bears it once and for all and bears the entire guilt from Adam to the last person. He will see his offspring. He will prolong his days. The good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. You do things my way, God rewards, right? Verse 11, as a result of the anguish of his soul. The Bible tells us, and we've been on this verse during our Luke 15 series, that, that the joy set before him, he despised the shame. It, he joyfully fulfilled the Father's calling and what he had to do, but don't miss, it was full of anguish. Our Lord weeped tears like blood in the garden, knowing what was ahead of him. He suffered greatly. We're going to look at that on Good Friday um, here in about a week from this Friday. Verse 11, as a result of the anguish of the soul, he will see, he will be satisfied by the knowledge of the righteous son, my servant. We uh, will justify many as we hear excuse me, as he will bear their iniquities. There it is again. Now look what the Lord does. Therefore, I will allot to him a portion with the great. 
and he will divide the booty with the strong because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressor, yet he himself bore the sins of many and interceded for the transgressions. As I thought about what God was doing, he said, look, Aaron, you're going to bear the guilt of this nation. You alone are going to come in for me, but I'm going to meet your needs. You will have no land. You will have no inheritance, but I will give you everything you need. Our Lord Jesus Christ had nowhere to lay his head. I mean, the Bible is really clear on that, isn't it? He, he, tells, he tells one man, he says, foxes have holes, birds have nests. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He didn't make this his home. I'll get into that in just in a few more minutes here. But, but God supplied for his needs. And, and as you look at Roman, uh, Numbers 18, God says, here, this is the way I want you to come. And, and you're going to offer these holy things to me, but I'm going to give you a portion of all this stuff that comes to you because I'm going to meet your needs. Philippians chapter 2, again, we see God rewarding Jesus Christ after he comes and he takes on flesh and he, and he humbles himself like a man, right? The Bible says he becomes man and humbles himself and, and even to the point of death, the death of a cross. And so the Bible says in verse 9, second uh, uh, chapter of Philippians. For this reason, God highly exalted him, and he bestowed on him a name above every name, so that in the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, that in heaven and on earth or under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He bestows this great richness on him. James 1.18, now we're thinking more about us. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of his truth, so that we would be kind of a first fruits among all creatures. And so, God rewards the Lord Jesus Christ for his perfect sacrifice, and he rewards him with what? He gives a portion of the world to him. You are the first fruits at sacrifice given from God to Jesus Christ. And that's why the Bible uses it. You could Go find, go chase down this first fruits type of things. It's often referring to us. We are God's first fruit given to Jesus Christ. Well, that's kind of humbling, isn't it? God would say, Scott, you are going to be a gift to my son. Now, he gifted you. He, he, he did all this. But I gift you as a firstborn, a first, uh, firstling, um, first kind, first fruits to the Lord. Now, I know I'm. I, I can just get lost in this stuff. It is just so fun to see the connection to George, Lord Jesus Christ. But look at back at our text, verse 19. I got to get going here. Verse 19. He says this. All the offerings of the holy gifts, which the sons of Israel offer to the Lord, I have given to you and to your sons and your daughters as a perpetual allotment. Isn't that beautiful? All of these things. This is the kindness of God to meet the priest needs and and make sure you make the connection the new testament teaches that we are believer priests because of the finished work of jesus christ we can walk into the presence of god so when you get to israel what did they bring did they bring a, a bunch of pears and plums that were you know run over by the wagon no they brought the first the best to the lord and some of that was offered to the lord the rest of that was given to the priest. He meets his priest needs. I use that word, pretty careful. You know, if, you're, if you come from certain Roman Catholic background, you're going, oh, priest, priest, priest. No, no. We are believer priests because we are like Aaron who can walk into the presence of God at any time now. That's why we refer to, New, New Testament refers to us as believer priests. So this all points forward to Christ, and we're blessed with these things. And then he says, this covenant of salt, notice this. It is an everlasting covenant of salt. It's the only place I think this is used. I, I think. I, 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 and, I, and here's what I, I, I worked on this and I thought, what does that mean? Well, salt's hard to destroy. It can lose its taste, but salt's really hard to destroy. And so what the Lord is saying here is this is an indestructible covenant. Now we know that Aaron's going to die, his sons are going to die, so... Well, how does that work with them? This has to be talking about something greater than that. It has to be pointing forward to somewhere greater. And so this, we know, points to Jesus Christ because Aaron and his sins are going to die. Their offerings have to go day and day and year and year. 
in, but Christ is once and for all. So this led me to Hebrews chapter 7, 27 through 28. Now listen to this. Jesus, who does not need daily like the high priest who offer up sacrifices for their own sins and then for the sins of the people, right? So they had the guilt of their own sins. They had the guilt of the people because this he did once and for all. Jesus did this once and for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak, but the word of the oath, which came after law, appoints a son made perfect. And so we all look at this and say, wow, that's our Lord Jesus Christ. And so I see us in several roles. One, we receive God takes care of us. He gives us what we need. And then you're going to see in a minute that the rest of the Levites are given a tenth, and then there's to give a tenth to the priesthood. So we're given a tenth to the Lord, but then we're also the believer priest who God meets our needs, and he gives us what we need, and he gives us the best often. And so it is the kindness of God. Look at verse 20 with me. Then the Lord said to Aaron, you shall have no inheritance in the land, nor, nor own any portion among them. I am your portion. I am your inheritance among the sons of Israel. And so this section concludes about Aaron and his sons, the priests that will go into the Holy of Holies before God, as a reminder, you don't cling to these things on the earth. This is not what you're called to do. Do not hang on to these earthly things. You don't have an inheritance. You don't have a retirement. I know some of us understand that, right? You go, wow, Lord, this really kind of rings true. And, and he's reminding us in, through Aaron here that you don't have any of that. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to be your portion. I'm going to be your inheritance. And this is what Jesus taught. I don't have, uh, foxes have holes and birds have nests. I don't have anything. To lay my head. See, Jesus was not of this world. It wasn't his home. His home was heaven. He was here to do a job, and that was to save God's people. And so we're reminded, be careful with these things. Verses 21 through 24, now he goes to those who serve the high priest. And this might be the better illustration, right, for us. Jesus Christ is the, the, the high priest, and we serve him. Verse 21, notice that this is the first time, and if you study back, we've never seen uh, the priests getting a tithe given to them, the Levites. It's the first time given. Now, it's affirmed later. We'll see it in Deuteronomy and then way later in Nehemiah that the priests, these Levites that aren't Aaron's role, are given a tithe. But tithing has, has been around, right? We, we go all the way back to Genesis 14. There when uh, Abraham is sent and he goes and fights against the three kings, beats them, wins Lot back and all of his family. Um, Melchizedek comes out to him, probably a pre-incarnate Christ. That's what I believe he is. Uh, he has no family heritage or anything like that. You, that's another lesson. If you want to go back and listen to Genesis 14, when I preach on it, you can, you can listen to that. Um, but there, Abraham gives him a tenth of all that he has. So we we see this in the ancient world that tithing was a part of worship. It was always a part of worship. And so this now, we begin to see this. And most likely this command for tithing, it's in preparation for Israel. You're going into this land. I'm going to give you vineyards you did not plant, houses you did not build. I'm going to give you grain fields you did not plant. I want a tenth of that. I want that to come to me. And I'm going to give that to the priest, the Levitical tribe, the priests that serve Aaron and his sons, and then they're going to give me a tenth from that. And this is the way the economy of Israel would work. So God was clearly blessing the Levites, right, as he did Aaron. He says, look, I'm, I'm going to give this to you. This is a payment for your service. And don't miss, this was a dangerous occupation. It's a dangerous occupation to serve God. And particularly in this, you don't come my way. Remember uh, Eli's sons, um, Samuel's son, Samuel sons. Uh, uh, er, earlier, uh, we saw sons who brought strange fire. I mean, it's dangerous. You don't come God's way, you die. But God says, when you come my way, you do things my way, I will reward you. Notice verse 23 and 24. Only the Levites shall perform the service of the tents of the meeting. And they shall bear their iniquity, and it shall be a perpetual state throughout your generations among the sons of Israel, and they shall have no inheritance. For the tithe of the sons of Israel, which they offer as an offering to the Lord, right? So the Reubenites and the Gadites and so forth, right? They, they give an offering. They give a tenth of an offering of their fruit, 
of their fields, of their animals, of their money. They give that. Um, some people have done a really lot of work on tithing in the Old Testament. Came up with somewhere around a figure that uh, an average Israelite gave 33% of their income to the Lord. Crickets. <laughs> that was the way the Lord managed the life of the nation of Israel. And so they were taught to give. And so that you can see what's happening here. The, the, the nation's going to give and going to meet your needs as a Levite. You're, you, you've been wanting other jobs, and I've shown you. You're not going to have that. You have a job that I've given you to do, but I'm also going to meet your needs as you serve the Lord. If you don't serve the Lord, you die. If you don't do it my way, you die. So serve the Lord, I meet your needs. It's, 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 it's beautiful how God takes care of that. And I think there's a clear example for us. And so the clear point is being made here in these, I think, these central verses 23 and 24 in this chapter, that it's not only does God require the priests and the Levites to carry out their responsibilities and their roles before God, but there's a great sacrifice to that. I, you're not going to have an inheritance. You're not going to have what everybody else has. And Aaron and the son, his sons and the rest of the Levites, they were not to be like the rest of the nation. They were not given an inheritance. And he says over and over in here, verse 20, clearly, the Lord is your inheritance. And so they were to be separated for the service of God. And so I think, again, let's come back to the believer priest. The Bible teaches us we are to be separate. We're to separate from the Lord. I mean, separate for the Lord from the world. Now, we're in the world, but not of it, right? We've got to work through that. I think as Christians, and will you agree with me, that sometimes we have maybe a one foot a little too far. And we lose our joy, don't we? And we don't trust God to meet our needs. And we try to, try to, try to do something on our own strength beyond what God is doing. And we find ourselves in difficulty. I flipped over and looked at Matthew Henry on this because he writes on this in his commentary. He said, they had no ground to occupy. They had no land to till, no vineyards to dress, no cattle to tend, no visible estate to take care of. Only sacrificial living before the Lord is what they were called to do. Now, again, we, God gives us work to do here on this earth. But he has set this group of people aside so they're available to the Lord. And so there's this clear mandate to the administration and the economy of this nation of Israel to live with with God supplying their needs. And I think the application is for the follower of Christ as well. Uh, Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 4, he says, no soldier in active duty entangles himself with affairs of the world. Now certainly, we make a living in the world. You, you have a job. God has you. You're a missionary in that world, right? We see, we see work connected to missions. We should. Work is, should be connected to missions but we don't entangle ourselves with the affairs of the world. And what happens when you do? You lose your joy. You fall into temptation. Uh, it affects your marriage. It affects your parenting. It affects your testimony. All that happens when we entangle in things in the world that we shouldn't. And so there's good lessons for what he tells this priesthood. First Peter chapter 2.11 Beloved, Peter says, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from the fleshly lusts which war against your soul. Paul said in Philippians 3, 8, I count all these things as loss in, viewing and, uh, in knowing the surpassing knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm willing to suffer loss of all things. And so there, there's this in the world but not of the world type mentality of the believer priest. And when I read this, I thought, Lord, that's us. We, you know, we really don't have inheritance. If the Lord comes and removes us, who's getting all our stuff? Not the saved. <laughs> and, and then, we, we, you know, it's clear. I mean, wherever you are on your eschatological view of things, judgment's coming upon this earth. And so God's teaching us not to white-knuckle things. And although we may have wealth here or may not have wealth, depending on what God gives you, he takes care of you. He reminds you, this world is not yours. Don't hang on to this. And so these priests and these Levites had no inheritance, but God was going to provide for them. And, and we see that. Paul reminds um, the church. He's, he, he's using a very um, 
interesting illustration back in 1 Corinthians 9 when they were talking about eating and partaking with the pagan festivals. He says, he told them, don't you know that those who perform these, sac- these services eat the food of the temple and those who attend regularly to the altar have their share from the altar. So he's reminding them, hey, that's, that's their pagan world and their pagan world s- supplies what they need. But he's reminding them throughout that we trust God and God provides our needs. He takes care of his believer priest. And so those who faithfully serve God and the Savior are greatly blessed people. We may not have everything, but the Bible says we're the apple of his eye. Look at Matthew chapter 6 real quick. Sometimes we just need to read these verses to remind ourselves. I've met with a dear family this week, and um, they're suffering. They're health issues, financial issues. It's hard. I went home, and I thought about this passage, and I prayed for them. And, and we can't help everybody, right? You know, sometimes you, just, you hear somebody going through a struggle, and you think, Lord, help, help, show me how I can help them, and, and you try to do those things. But one of the things you remind yourself is that God's way better at any of that. And it doesn't mean you, you don't just meet needs, and certainly that's a goal. But look at what he says in, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. It's easy to kind of run to the grass of the fields and all of that. But I think the context flows back to verse 24. No one can serve two masters. See, that's what happens to us. This is where we lose our joy. Because we're trying to serve two masters. We're trying to serve money. We're trying to serve things of the world. And we're trying to serve God. And, there, and there's a conflict in our souls when we do that. And, and we have to examine that. Lord, you have to help me be in this world but not of it. And there's bills and there's medical issues and there's all those things that go by. And, and the Lord, I think, is reminded that there's nothing different than that in this first, you know, first century of the church, right? This is what they were going through. What's going to happen is you're going to hate one and love the other. Or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve God in wealth, right? And then verse 25, he starts to help us be good believer priests and trust that he's going to take care of us. For this reason, I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you'll put on it is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, do they reap, gather into their barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth more than they? And who of you, by being worried, Ouch. Because they had every one of us right there. Every one of us struggle with some level of worry, don't we? Who of you, he's talking to all of us right here, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about your clothing? Observe the lilies of the field, how they grow, and they do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all of his glory is clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown in the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. Man, that's hard to hear, isn't it, sometimes? Man, I'm acting like a pagan. I'm so consumed with wealth and and my needs, and I need, I need, I need. We sound like, what about Bob? Sorry, some of you may not have got that. And yet God says, look, I know this. What will I eat? What will I drink? For the Gentiles, the pagans, as you can translate that, the pagans eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows what you need, all of these things. And then this, but seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And that's the verse that linked me to it. Aaron, you don't worry about those things. You don't worry about your inheritance. You don't worry about the lands and the crops and everything else I gave to all these other tribes. And I gave them the hill countries and all this. I gave them all that. You don't worry about that. You worry about my kingdom and doing things my way. Isn't that good? 
That's what God wants us to do. And he says, so do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has but worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble. But verse 33 says, the Lord will add the things we need to us. Sometimes he adds them pretty skimpy, doesn't he? <laughs> like, Lord, just maybe a little more? <laughs> no, no. I love you, and I know what you need. And right now, I want to help you trust me. We've all been there, and we may be there again someday. i got to get going. Third, quickly, the blessings of God and the ties of his faithful servants. Look at these last few verses. i got to get back there. Um, 25 through 32. I always have great, grand expressions like, I think I'm going to cover two or three chapters. And you guys just laugh at me. But then I get into it and I go, oh, man, Lord, this takes me all over. Verse 25, then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Moreover, you shall speak to the Levites and say to them, When you take from the sons of Israel the tithe which I have given to you, from them, from your inheritance, then you shall present an offering from it to the Lord, a tithe of the tithe. Your offering shall be reckoned to you as the grains from the threshing floor or full produce from the vine bat, uh, wine vat, you shall also present an offering to the Lord from your tithes, which you receive from the sons of Israel. And from it you shall give the Lord's offering to Aaron the priest. Out of all your gifts you shall present every offering due to the Lord from all the best of them, the sacred parts of them. And you shall say to them, when you have offered from its best of it, then the rest shall reckon to the Levites as a product of the threshing floor and the product of the wine vat and you may eat of any uh, you you may eat it anywhere you and your household for it is your compensation to return for your service in the tent of the meeting you will bear no sin by by reasoning for it when you have offered the best of it but you shall not profane the sacred gifts of the sons of israel or you will die now i just have to sum this up but this is outstanding right the tithe that was given to the Levites was subject itself to a tithe, which in turn was paid to Aaron and his sons. Did you catch that? And, and notice it was the best of the best. So those who are serving the high priest, who's going in carrying, bearing the guilt, those who are serving the, the true high priest, our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, we give him a portion of the best. And then notice he said, the rest is for you. What a great lesson on giving, isn't it? Give them the best. Give them the first. And then the rest is for you. And it means they got the stewardship of those things. But he give it. You give the rest. And so this tithe of tithe in verse 26 with a tenth of this offering that was given to them. So the nation gave to them. So that was how God produced their fruit. Maybe your job or your company or uh, whatever you work for gives you those, and you take the best of that and you give it to the Lord, the first of that. You give it to the one who goes in the presence of God for you. And so once this tithe was given to Aaron and to his sons, they were to eat freely of it. Just eat wherever you want and eat those provisions. There's no restriction. This is your reward for serving the tabernacle and serving Aaron. Enjoy it, he says. Enjoy it. So there's times to enjoy the things God has given us. Give to the Lord, pay your bills, and enjoy what God has given you. Isn't that, I think that's beautiful. And I hope you do that. And I think when we go to dinner or we have something special, thank the Lord for that meal. We're out. We enjoy this. Thank you for this extra. Maybe it was Chick-fil-A tonight. I don't know. Uh, whatever it was, Lord, thank you. We're enjoying what you've given to us. And it's a pleasure to give to you. Well, so much more to say on this, and i got to quit. Um, but think about this. Deuteronomy 6 says that they were to teach this to their children. Teach it when they're laying down. Teach it when they're rising up. Somewhere along the line, after Joshua and the elders, they stopped teaching this. And guess what book comes next? Thank you. These are principles that we see in the New Testament as well. Give to the Lord. Be a cheerful giver. Otherwise, we end up finding ourselves under the disciplined hand of God. Father, uh, what an amazing chapter, Lord. i just amazed what you bring out of these things. Your, your word is like a deep well that has no bottom. 
So what a great reminder to think about. We are the believer priest. We serve the one who intercedes for us, our Lord Jesus Christ. And we give our best to him, the firstlings of everything. And then, Lord, we pay our bills with joy. And, we, and maybe, Lord, if we have a little extra, we, we celebrate and we enjoy that with our families and friends. And we praise you that we could, could have something that we could give you praise for. Lord, help us look at money and finances different. Help us to see that you are inheritance, Lord. And not that we're good stewards and have retirements and those type of things. Lord, you know that, Lord. You know that's good stewardship. Lord, help us handle your funds well. Help us worship you with them. Because you, Lord Jesus, (laughs) took your own blood. And you satisfied the wrath of God. And there is no condemnation to any of the believer priests ever, ever, ever again because of your finished work. So we praise you, Lord, and we give you thanks. May you be glorified by what we've said and sung here today. May our fellowship be sweet to you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.